in our day of great distress, God's grace finds us. That was true for John Weiss. He's the lead pastor at Southland Community Church in Kentucky. And I had the privilege of hearing John speak a few months ago. John told the story when he was 12 years old about how he, along with the help of some friends and some bottle rockets, burned down on accident their neighbor's carport. And John had some older brothers that loved to tease him. And so they convinced John that he was going to be arrested for this and he was going to go to prison for a long time. So by the time the police arrived, John was gone. He had run away. And he was hiding in a culvert underneath the road, kind of a place where that rainwater would, would go out. And it was this hot, humid day. And so John was staying there as long as he possibly could. But after several hours, he had, just, he had, had enough. And he decided it was time to go home. And when John got home, God's grace met him in an unexpected way. And that's the story of Jonah. God's grace found Jonah in a really unexpected way. Last week when we left Jonah, he had just been thrown overboard into the raging sea, the storm that was, that was raging. Uh, the story of Jonah began with the word of God coming to Jonah and calling him to go to the city of Nineveh. It's the capital of Assyria. And Jonah didn't want to go. And so he went the exact opposite way of what God said. He ran from God. And instead of going east, he headed west and got on a boat and went as far west as he possibly could. And we said last week that whenever we choose to run from God, it brings storms into our life. But those storms have a purpose. The storm is never to pay us back. The storm is always to bring us back to God. That's what God was after. God was after Jonah. And so Jonah realized that he couldn't run from God and that this storm was going to cost everyone their lives. And so he said, throw me overboard. And after much debating and trying to find other ways out of it, the sailors finally relented and over the railing goes Jonah. And as soon as Jonah's body would have hit that open ocean, he would have quickly started to separate from the boat. That, that boat was being driven by those storms and, and the winds. And, and just in just a matter of moments, Jonah would have been all alone on this open ocean with these enormous waves quickly overcoming him. He didn't have any sort of flotation, and it would have been a terrifying experience for him. In fact, we know a little bit about how Jonah was dealing with this whole situation from what he writes about in Jonah chapter 2. So uh, I want to invite you to open up to Jonah chapter 2. We're going to continue in the story of Jonah. And uh, just a reminder, I don't have the TV for this series. The TV is great, nothing against the TV, but the, the book of Jonah is just, it's short enough that all of us can be looking at the text together. And I want to encourage you to do that. So if you have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to open it up or turn it on and uh, get over to Jonah chapter 2. We're going to pick this up in verse 3, where Jonah is describing his emotions on that open scene. He's, he's talking to God. He's, he's praying to him. He says, you hurled me into the depths into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All of your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head, and I love verse 6, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in, forever. Jonah, Jonah is describing the sense of being totally overcome by what was around him. And I, and I think we can relate to Jonah on how he felt. 
I mean, we, we've had these moments where it feels like the chaos surrounding us is, is just overwhelming. And, and we've had those, those moments where, where it's almost this image of, of the deep kind of reaching up and, and twisting its seaweed around Jonah and pulling him down. And, and so many of us just know that feeling of, of, of like, I'm not going to be able to make it out of this. In fact, I love in verse 5, uh, Jonah uses this phrase. He says, the engulfing waters threatened me. Another way to translate that same verse is that the waters were at my throat. And the Hebrew word for throat is a word called nefesh. And that also is the same word that the Hebrews used for soul. You know, kind of like we do with heart. So if, if somebody says to you, oh, my heart was broken. You know, we, we don't mean like the actual thing that beats in my chest was, was dysfunctional or broken. What we mean is, is that I'm just sad. Like my emotions are shattered. There's, there's something about my spirit that was crushed. That's when we said our, our heart was broken. Well, in a similar way, that's how the Hebrews talked about their, their throat, their soul. And it was this image that was really important that, that our soul's not separated from our body, that we're actually kind of all together. And, and just like the breath of life is in our throat, so the breath of God is in our soul. That, that was kind of this image. And so when, when Jonah says that the, the engulfing waters were at my throat, what he's saying is he's saying this chaos that is surrounding me that's about to overtake me, it, it's filling up and it's about to pour into and crush my soul. And we've been there. It's that moment when you think this relationship's over. My, my marriage is ruined. The influence I have with my kids or my grandkids is, is changed forever. My job's done. My career is over. My ministry's ruined. My reputation is shattered. It's, it's that moment where we feel like this is it. I'm slipping below the surface and, and it's going to be over for me. And right at that moment, something changes for Jonah. Look at the end of verse 6. He says, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit there's a reversal that happens. You know, he's, he's being pulled down, but then God brings him, him up and saves him. And he does this, and, and, and you see what happens in, in verse 2. So, so move up a little bit. Here's how God brought him up out of the pit. Jonah says that, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. The story of Jonah is the story of a man who ran and was in distress, and in his distress, he calls to God, and God answers him. And he answered him because of God's graciousness. Jonah didn't have to do anything to prove to God that he was worthy of answering him in his distress. You know, Jonah didn't have to, to barter with God. He didn't have to make a deal with God. He didn't have to promise, okay, God, I'm, I'm never going to run again. Or he didn't have to go through a whole bunch of religious duty to prove that, you know, he was really sorry for, for running. This, this was Jonah's own doing. The distress that he was facing was of his own making. And yet in his distress, he calls out to God and God answers him. Because that's who our God is. That in times of our distress, he will answer us. He'll respond to us even though we don't deserve it. He gives us his grace. But what's fascinating is about how God answered Jonah. Here's how he answered Jonah. It was a very unexpected way. I want you to move up to how chapter 1 ends, just a few verses above this in uh, verse 17 at the end of chapter 1. Here's how God answered Jonah in his distress. 
Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So how did God answer Jonah in his distress? Jonah got swallowed by a fish, which makes us think maybe Jonah should have been a little more specific in his prayer to God about how to get out of this distress. And, you know, just reading uh, that, that, that verse uh, about Jonah and about that fish, uh, many of us are just like, wait, wait a minute. Like, did, did that really happen? Like, are you really telling me that this guy named Jonah really got swallowed by a fish and, and spent three days in, in the fish and then lived to tell about it? Like, did that really, did that really happen? And I'll just tell you, just, just so we're being open about how I'm reading this passage, I believe it did. I believe this really occurred. I believe this is an actual event. And I'm convinced of it for a very specific reason, and, and I'll get to that near the end of our message. But what I find so striking about this account with Jonah and the fish is uh, how unremarkable it seems to Jonah. It's actually one of the reasons I believe that this thing happened, because he doesn't make a big deal about it. We make a big deal about Jonah and, and the fish. In fact, if you, if you heard about the story of Jonah growing up, maybe if you re- read a kid's Bible or if you hear a kid's story about it, you know, often we refer to it, uh, we'll, we'll say Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the fish or Jonah and the great fish. And Jonah doesn't do that. Jonah wouldn't say like, no, no, this story is not about me and the fish. He would say it's about me and something else. But we make a big deal about the fish. Jonah doesn't. Only three verses in this entire story even mention the fish, and we just read the longest one, which is surprising to me. It's surprising to me because let me ask you, if you were swallowed by a fish and spent a long weekend there and then lived to tell about it, like, would you make a big deal about it? Like, I would make a really big deal about it. Like, I would, you, every time we talked, I would probably bring it up in inappropriate ways, Right? It'd be like, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Like, oh, we went fishing. Like, oh, yeah, how'd that go? Yeah, good. Yeah, caught a, caught a three-pound fish. Oh, cool. Did I tell you the time I got caught by a, a 30-ton fish? Like, I would just bring it up all the time. You know, if my kids were like, ah, oh, this math homework is too hard. I'd be like, you know what's too hard? Living in a fish for a, three days. Like, you just, I would, I would write a book. I would be on the news. Like, I, I would tell everybody about the time that I lived through this fish. It would be the most important story that I would tell. Unless, unless something else happened to me that made the fish story comparably less important. And that's the story of Jonah. Something else found Jonah under the sea that wasn't the fish. It was the grace of God. And Jonah says, that's what's most important, not the fish, but my relationship with God. That's what changed Jonah. That's what transformed him. And that's the story that he wants us to know about his story. And and what I find absolutely incredible is that Jonah saw the fish not as God's further punishment, but as God's provision. Like like here he is, he's swimming in the open ocean. He's, He's fighting for his life. He's about ready to drown. And then here comes the fish and it swallows him up. And Jonah doesn't give us any details, but if you spent time inside a fish, it would be a very unpleasant experience. Like, I don't even like how fish smell in the grocery store. I can't imagine being in one for three days. It would have been dark. It would have been cramped. Do you know how terrifying it must have been for him to be in that fish? And yet he did not see that as God's punishment. 
He sought as God's provision. And, and I, as I've been reading Jonah, I, I'm thinking, how did that happen? Because how many of us in our day of distress do we call out to God and God answers us by providing something or intervening in our life and it seems like it's a fish. It's, it's something unexpected and it comes into our life and how many of us look at that situation, look at that circumstance and we think, okay, it just got worse. Like I'm trying to call out to God. God, I'm in my distress. I'm calling out to you and instead of it getting better, it gets worse. And how often have I had that attitude and that thought? but not Jonah. And so I have just been perplexed. Jonah, how did you have that perspective? And here's how I'm convinced that Jonah had that perspective. I want to show you how chapter 2 is is laid out. The first verse and the last verse of chapter 2 are are the narrative. The rest of chapter 2, verses 2 through 9, they're all Jonah's prayer. And it's the prayer that Jonah gave to God while he is inside the fish. And that in the, the, almost the entire prayer is unoriginal to Jonah. The, these aren't his words. These are words from other parts of Scripture. That when Jonah prayed to God, what he did is, is he quoted from a whole variety of passages of God's Word. And specifically the Psalms. In particular, he quotes from 10 different psalms when he's giving this prayer. And he takes all of these different snippets from the psalms and weaves them together in this beautifully poetic prayer that that accurately describes his emotional state and what he's going through, and it reframes his perspective. So just just to have a sense on on what's happening here, so in in verse 2, Jonah quotes from Psalm 18 and Psalm 120. Then in verse 3, he quotes from Psalm 88 and Psalm 42. In verse 4, he quotes from Psalm 31. In verse 5, from Psalm 69. In verse 7, from Psalm 77, 11, and 18. And then in verse 9, he quotes from Psalm 3. And, and just hearing that and knowing that about this prayer has been, has been so inspiring to me. Because what it shows us is it shows us that God's word helps us in our day of distress. That in our day of distress, God's word prepares us for our days of distress, and God's word will help to protect us in our day of distress. And, and so it's, it's, it's really challenged me to think about how I use God's word, and specifically how I use the Psalms. So here's how God's word helped to prepare Jonah for his day of distress, and how God's word will prepare us for our day of distress. The first thing is Jonah knew the Psalms. He he knew the Psalms so well that when he was in that moment of distress, that's what came out of him. And I've been convicted by that because I think if you throw me in the open ocean and here comes a fish to swallow me, something's coming out of me. I don't know if it's the Psalms, right? I just, but it does for Jonah. That was his immediate response because he knew them so well. And so that's just, that's just really challenged me that I need to have the Psalms be more prominent in my life. And I don't, I don't think I'm the only one. Uh, a few months ago, I was uh, watching BBC America was playing a rerun of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It's kind of a classic movie. And in one of the scenes, uh, the, the movie has the God character talking to uh, King Arthur's character. And he's kind of bemoaning humanity. And he has this quote, he, he says to King Arthur, he's like, oh, it's like those miserable psalms. They're just so depressing. And I thought, there it is. 
<laughs> there it is. That's, that's so often how we view the Psalms. You know, we view them as, as depressing or as whiny or as emotional, and they're not at all. It is the Word of God. And the Psalms are so filled with great theology, and they help us understand the nature of God, and they help us understand our proper response to God. And by studying Jonah the last few months, I, I have, I've been challenged that I need to embrace the Psalms in a new way. So what I've started to do is I've added the Psalms into my own spiritual practices every single day. So what I do is I actually begin my, my time with the Lord by praying through a Psalm. And it has been so helpful for me to reframe my perspective. So I, I wanted to just give you an example of, of what I've been doing. And so I, I picked a really short Psalm just for the sake of time, uh, just to give you a flavor of what I'm doing. And I want to encourage you that this may be something you could add to your own spiritual practice. So uh, we're going to use Psalm 131, just because it, it's only three verses, and, uh, and it gives you an example of, of what I've been doing. So um, what I'll do, and, and I have a, uh, I found an old common book of prayer that just assigns a different psalm a day, but you could just start at the beginning and just read a new one each, each morning or however you want to organize it. Uh, but, but here's what I'd do. I, I'd open up to Psalm 131 if that was my psalm of the day, and then I would just pray back to God his own words. So, so here's Psalm 131. It says this, it says, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. And, and so after reading that verse, I would just pray to God and say, God, your ways are above my ways. And I just want to start this morning by acknowledging how great you are. And, and Father, you, you, are, you are sovereign over all. You know all things. Nothing happens in this world that is outside of your awareness or your knowledge. And Father, thank you for that. Thank, thank you that, that you're, you're so good and so knowledgeable and that you're in control of all things. And Father, I, I just want to acknowledge that, that I'm not. And, and God, I'm going to go into situations and circumstances today, and there are going to be things that, that I'm going to deal with and encounter that are going to be beyond my own understanding. Father, there are things that, that are being driven by realities in the spiritual world that I will not fully understand or comprehend, but you know. And so, Father, in those moments, help me to not, not trust in my own understanding, but, but to lean in you and to trust in you. And, and, Father, specifically, as I meet with this person and this person and this person and this person today, Father, help me to have a heart of humility and, and help me to look for how you're at work in these meetings and these conversations. And then verse 2 says this. It says, but, but I have calmed and weaned uh, quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. And reading that verse, I would say, God, I, I want to confess to you that I struggle with a sense of accomplishment and achievement. F Father, I, I look at success as being the thing that's going to give me life and satisfaction. And Father, contentment is never going to be found in those things. I confess that to you. Lord, help me to be fully content in you and in you alone. God, grant me a, a faith like a child to, to just be content being in your presence and have your presence in my life be enough. Father, help me to be fully content in you today. And then verse three, Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. And, and so, Father, that would be what I would pray. To say, help my hope be in you and only in you and not in my search, situation or circumstance or the things around me. And Father, help me to be able to, to not only have hope in you and you only, but to share that hope with others today. And then I'd go on to pray for other things that I have on my prayer list, uh, 
uh, several of you, our church, and, and other things that we have going on, and, and then other readings that I have going on for the day. But by starting that way, here's what it's allowed me to do. It, it's allowed me to, to step back and to let God set the agenda and not me set the agenda for my time with him. And I can't tell you how helpful it has been because it prepares me for whatever is coming that day, especially if it's going to be a day of distress. And that's how the Psalms helped Jonah. Day in and day out, him knowing those Psalms and having them be so integrated into who he is and how he thought, that when the day of distress came, it was the word of God that helped him reframe. But the second thing that the word of God did for Jonah was in that time of distress. It helped to protect him. And so the good news is, is that when we have these days of distress, we can immediately go to God's word and it will help us, it will protect us. And the thing it protects us from is ourselves. Because so often in our day of distress, we are our, the thing that is, is most at risk. You know, we're, we're the one that's going to make this thing worse. At least that's my case. Uh, when, when distress happens, I'm an action guy. I want to figure it out. I want to come up with a solution. I, I want to I put a plan together. I want to solve something. I'm going to go fix something. Um, this, this is true. It's a story for another time, but I, I, have, I have been known to try to uh, drive through blizzards when the airport here in Minneapolis got shut down, uh, which means like the airplane couldn't land because it was so hazardous, but somehow I thought me and a four-cylinder rental car had a chance, okay? And I've done that, I've done that twice, which means I didn't learn my lesson the first time, right? That this is me. I can't trust myself in my moments of distress, like 10 out of 10 times, I make things worse. Uh, I, many of you know I'm a scuba diver. And one of the things that we learn in dive training is a simple acronym that's SBTA. And it stands for Stop, Breathe, Think, Act. And the reason that's helpful and that, that's something you want to teach a diver is sometimes uh, situations occur under the water. Maybe you get entangled or, or something goes wrong. And for most divers, they don't get into trouble and, and they, don't, they don't have an accident. Most divers don't die because of a situation that occurs. Most divers die because of how they reacted to a situation. Panic sets in and they make things far worse. Simple problems become very complicated very quickly under the water if you panic. And so that simple acronym just reminds a diver, okay, if you have a situation, stop and just breathe. So if you're diving you know, in some kelp and you get hung up a little bit, just stop what you're doing and just breathe. Just And just doing that, it reminds you like, okay, I'm, I'm attached to my tank. I can still breathe. I'm okay. And it just kind of calms you even, even you know, physiologically. And then think about the situation. Okay, I'm hung up a little bit. I'm in the kelp. Okay, I'm, I'm probably just, I probably, something's just probably wrapped around my tank. So I'm just going to move real slow. I'm not going to make it worse. I'm going to see if I can find it. And if so, then I can just kind of get myself free. And just that simple stop, breathe, think, then act, it saves so many lives underwater. Because if, if you freak out and you just get yourself all twisted, I mean, you just make the, the situation far worse. Now, I think in our day of distress, we need to do something similar. So maybe our acronym needs to be uh, SPPR, which I just made up, right? It's like stop, pray Psalms, and then respond. Like in our day of distress, stop what you're doing. Get away and get with the Lord. Get up early, stay up late, take a lunch meeting, like, like cancel out of a meeting. Somehow get with the Lord and just spend time with him and pray the Psalms. 
Let the Psalms guide you in terms of reminding us about who God is and his control over all the situations and our proper response to who he is. And then once we've had a chance to do that, now respond, don't act. Respond to how God's already moving, to what God's already declared, what God's already revealed to you. And by responding to God, it prevents us from taking actions ourselves. And that's what happened with Jonah. The word of God protected him from his own inclinations. And we've already seen that Jonah is inclined to be a runner. But something changes here. I want you to see in verse 7 of this prayer, this turn that happens with Jonah. Verse 7, he said, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. See, the word of God protected him, reminded about who God was. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And and right there in in verse 7, when he says, I remembered you, it's like the word of God brought everything back to Jonah, and it reframed this whole perspective. And he realized being in this fish isn't God's punishment, it's God's provision. That God provided, he protected me. That he's saving me. And I love at the end of of, of verse 7 when he says, my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. What he is describing there is a scene that God's word would have given to Jonah. Uh, Before Jesus, God's spirit chose to dwell in a place called the tabernacle or the temple. And in both of those locations, there was a place called the holy of holies or the most holy place. And it's where God's spirit would literally reside. And because we, as sinful humans, couldn't just walk into God's presence, uh, they put a big curtain around it. And then right outside the curtain was this altar of incense. And the altar of incense was burned, and the smoke would go up, and the smoke would, would go through the curtain. And that incense symbolized prayers. And so kind of the idea was that even though you couldn't walk into God's presence because of your sinfulness, God still chose to allow your prayers to come into his presence. And once a year, that altar of incense was cleaned or covered on what was called the Day of Atonement. That something had to be sacrificed in order to atone or cover over our sins. And so whenever somebody saw those prayers, that incense being burned in in the temple and going up into God's presence, it it was a reminder that God hears our prayers not because of anything that we've done, not because we deserve it, not because we've proved to God that we're worth it, God hears our prayers because he chooses to. Because he is the one that makes atonement for us to cover over our sins so that he's willing to hear our prayers. And the word of God reminded Jonah about that image. And it was like, that's right. God chooses to hear my prayer and my distress, not because of anything I've done, but because of who he is. And because atonement was made and it reminded Jonah of God's grace in an unexpected way being in the belly of a fish and that was kind of like John's story you know when when John finally made it home uh, after burning down the neighbor's carport he saw his dad standing there on the driveway waiting for him and as John tells the story he said I saw my dad standing on the driveway and I just knew at age 12 today's the day I'm gonna go meet Jesus it's over for me. I'm in trouble. And he said, but his dad wasn't angry. His dad was really calm. 
And his dad explained to him, he said, hey, we talked to the neighbors and all of you boys that were involved, you, you all owe the neighbor $40. And that was to help, I, I guess, with, with the insurance premium. Uh, and John said he had a lawn mowing business at the time and he got $6 for every lawn that he mowed. So he did some quick math and realized he needed to mow seven lawns to pay the neighbors. And so the next morning, John gets up and, and he pushes the mower down the street. And he says he was doing that. His dad did something he's never done before. His dad followed behind him and was holding a lawn chair. And so John gets to this house and his dad sets the lawn chair up in the driveway. And then his dad goes over to John and says, I want you to sit in the chair. And his dad starts up the mower. And John said he hopped up and was like, Dad, no, 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 I, I, I need to do this. And his dad said, John, I told you to sit in that chair. You sit there and you stay there. And John said that he sat there and he watched his dad mow the lawn and then do all the trimming and then sweep up. And then they went home. And he said, the rest of that week, I had to sit in that lawn chair and watch my dad mow six other lawns. And then when all the lawns had been mowed, that, that seventh lawn had been finished, they came home and went into the kitchen and John's dad said, all right, John, here's the money from all the lawns, $42. He said, 40 of it's for the neighbors to pay them back. And two of those dollars are for you. So you can take that money and go to the swimming pool. You can go to the arcade with your friends, whatever you want. It's, it's yours to enjoy. And John said he had such a hard time receiving that. And, and he went up to his room and kind of sat down and you know, didn't, didn't know what to do about this. And his dad knew he was having a hard time. So his, his dad went up to his room and sat down on the bed next to him. And, and John said, as soon as his dad sat down, he just started crying. And his dad put his arm around him. And he said, John, I, I want you to hear me on this. He said, you owe God a debt that you will never be able to repay. But Jesus took care of that for you. And it's called grace. And John said for the first time in his life, he understood what God's grace was all about. See, see John experienced the graciousness from his father but in order to understand it he needed his father's words to explain it to him because otherwise he, he thought the actions of his father were actually there to, to heap guilt or shame or, or make him feel worse about the situation it was it was punishment but it wasn't he needed his father's words to explain his father's actions so he understood his father's grace the same is true for us. In our day of distress, God is wanting to be gracious to us and answer us in our moment of distress, but we need his word to understand and to see and to recognize the grace that God has given to us. And just like John's dad, the grace that our heavenly father has showed to us, it costs something. It wasn't free. Jesus suffered significantly to be able to give you and me the grace of God. In fact, so much so that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, receiving and taking on himself the punishment for our sins, the thing that was rightly due for us, what we should have been on that cross, he took our place. And, and as he was suffering under the burden of our sins, he called out to God and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting 
Psalms. Psalm 22.1. And even in Jesus' day of distress, the Word of God prepared and protected Jesus and sent a powerful message to you and to me that the grace of God costs something. And then after Jesus suffered on that cross and died on that cross, he was put into a tomb. But he didn't stay there. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, he rose from the dead just like he predicted he would rise from the dead. And Jesus predicted it by referencing Jonah. It's found in Matthew 12. There, there are some r- religious leaders that are debating uh, with Jesus and, and they're demanding a sign. And, and here's what Jesus says. Uh, he says, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given, listen to this, except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In other words, Jesus is saying, just like Jonah was in the fish but didn't stay in the fish, so I'm going to be in the earth and in the grave, but I'm not going to stay in the grave. And just like Jonah came out of the fish and was reborn, so I'm going to come out of the fish and be reborn so you can be reborn. And so the reason that I am convinced that Jonah actually happened and was actually in the fish is because Jesus said so. And Jesus rose from the grave. And all of our hope, All of our confidence in the grace that God gives to us is found in the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. It is God's word proving to us that in our day of distress, we always have hope because Jesus rose from the grave and there is resurrection power in our God. And so that's why I'm convinced that Jonah happened and that's why I know that in our day of distress, we can call to the Lord because he's already answered the call with the empty tomb. And he's already proven to us that no matter what we're facing and how terrible a situation we're in, there is always new life to come. And that's the grace that God gives to us that we learn about from God's word. So in our day of distress, call to the Lord. Jesus has proven that he's already answered you. Let's pray. Father, we're just so thankful for the grace that you've given to us. Lord, Lord, we just pause and we just recognize we don't deserve this. We don't deserve you. But Father, I I pray that we we would allow you through your word to reveal and show us where you have given your grace to us. And Father, help us to be confident that in our day of deepest distress, you will answer. And you already have. Help us find those answers in your word. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.